Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast with me, Harry Simeus, of course, part of the 90 Min Football Network. And I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by one of the very best in the business. Charles Watts is alongside me. Charles, great to have you back on the show, mate. How have you been, first of all? Yeah, all good, mate. Not too bad. I've been getting through the I don't know, I was going to say the drama of January, but it's uh, probably the least dramatic January that I can remember in a very long time. But um, but yeah, no, all good, all ready to uh, get back to the Emirates on Saturday. It's been a weird couple of weeks, hasn't it, I think, since the Liverpool game. Um, went into that break quite happy that the break was coming, but now I'm just desperate for, for Arsenal to get back playing again. So looking forward to Saturday. I think the problem with these breaks, when you go into them off the back of a disappointing result, is that you, you can have a tendency to overthink. Mm. I know that's been my problem over the last two weeks. I've been looking at sort of the transfer policy over the last few years, trying to figure out what I might have, if anything, done differently. Um, and one of the things that I kind of came up with was, you know, this this decision to go big on versatility, you know, it's great because it means that we've got lots of options and stuff. But what it also means is that when you lose one body, you can end up being short in more than one area if you were accounting for that player um, to help you in, in a load of... Um, in a load of different positions. But I feel like we need the football to come back and we need to get back to to winning ways. And, and that's the only way that all the discourse is going to sort of go away. The, the January window, as you say, has been massively underwhelming so far, not just on an Arsenal perspective, though. It's, it's been underwhelming across the board. And I think a lot of that is to do with the profit and sustainability stuff and, and you know, the way clubs are sort of fearing uh, the punishments that could come now. From an Arsenal point of view, though, specifically, are you expecting anything to happen, anything at all between now and the end of the month? Nothing significant. Um, you can never say never. Obviously, there's been plenty of times where I've been sitting here before thinking nothing's going to nothing's going to happen. And then within a day, something's happened. And you're like, oh, well, that's great. So I remember the night before Arsenal signed Thomas Party, all the messages we were getting at the end of that transfer window was like, look, business done. We're not doing anything more. Nothing's going to happen. And that was the kind of message. I think it was a game that night, the night before deadline day, sort of left the stadium that day thinking, that night thinking, oh, nothing's going to happen. And within, you know, what, 12 hours or so, suddenly the release clause had been triggered for Thomas Party, one of the biggest transfers in a long, long time. So you can never say never, but certainly all the messages we've had from the, basically the start leading up to the window to during the window is it's very, very difficult. Arsenal are open to potentially doing something if the opportunity arises, but it, it's it's looking increasingly difficult that anything significant might happen. But there's still plenty of time to go. And, you know, if someone comes in with a big offer for one of Arsenal's players, and suddenly that might change the, change the whole thinking of the window. But, yeah, as it stands right now, I'm not expecting anything sort of dramatic to, to happen. When it comes to this transfer window, it feels like we're trying to squeeze blood out of a stone. Um, but if there was one position that you expect Arsenal to maybe act on if, you know, that opportunity presents itself, what do you think will be the priority? We've heard it will be a left back. Is is that in line with kind of your information? I think it probably would be. I think when you look at the squad and where the absolute necessity is, 
right now. I mean, we don't know yet on Zinchenko's injury. We're told it wasn't anything, you know, majorly serious, but we haven't seen him training over in Dubai at the moment. So I'd say he's certainly still bigged out for this coming weekend and potentially games to come after that. We know Tommy Asu's out at the moment. It's obviously brilliant to see Timber back doing what he was doing over in Dubai, but he's still a long, long way off being considered for a sort of first team return. So I think when you look at the issues Arsenal have and the fact that, you know, Jakub Kivio is probably going to have to play there again at the weekend, then that's the area I think that probably needs strengthening through to the second half of the seat for the second half of the season. Um, but again, I couldn't sit here and say any names or anything like that. It's just, I'm just not really hearing any, anything like that. But uh, yeah, I'd say probably that for me, I'd be absolutely, you know, if someone gave me 70 million pounds and said, go out and buy someone right now for Arsenal. I know a lot of people want a striker, but I'd be, I'd be targeting a winger. I have to say, um, I think that's equally as important for Arsenal as bringing in this sort of much talked about striker that everyone is calling for. I think they desperately need some support and um, competition for for Bukayo and uh, Gabriel Martinelli as well. And um, I think if you bring in a top quality winger, the way Arsenal play and how important they are to, to the system that Mikel operates, I think that would be a huge, huge boost for Arsenal. But I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I, I agree with you that we need attacking reinforcement. I think we do probably need defensive reinforcement as well. But I think the reason people are feeling so frustrated by, you know, the reports that a left-back is the thing that we would do if we can do anything is because defensively, it hasn't really been the biggest of our problems, has it? I mean, I don't know what your take is on the recent results. What what do you put the dip in form down to? Is it that we've just lost our spark in attack? You know, are we giving away two cheaper goals, in your opinion? Because I think there's a, there's a kind of spectrum of opinions as to what the problem at Arsenal is right now. Some say the attack, some say the defence, some say the midfield. Where are you on this? <sighs> I think per, I think probably attack more than anything, but I think you've got to look at both both ends of the pitch. And Arsenal haven't been good enough in the last few weeks at both ends of the pitch. But I think when you look at where this sort of run started, for me, you know the Aston Villa game, for example, you take that's kind of where I go back to where where the results started to t- take a dip. And again, that was a performance that I thought Arsenal played they played well in that game, but they just didn't score. And that's been an ongoing ongoing theme. Uh, in Arsenal over the last sort of seven, eight games is just the inability to take the chances that they're creating. And they are creating chances and they're creating big situations and they're not taking advantage of them. And you do that in the Premier League, then you're going to get punished because the Premier League is such a top-quality league. They got punished against Aston Villa. Villa scored a really good goal early on and then Arsenal just couldn't get back into the game despite having the chances to do it. We saw very, very similar against West Ham for me. Um, You know, that was a game, if it plays out the way it did again, 10 times, I think Arsenal win that game at least seven or eight of them with the amount of chances and the amount of the ball that they had. The same goes for Liverpool in the FA Cup game. So they just they need to take their chances better. They absolutely need to be more clinical. I look at Fulham as a as a kind of an outlier because that was just a yeah. rank bad performance. It was just and I haven't seen a performance like that from Arsenal this season. That was the only one. The other games that they've lost in, I think they've played pretty well. Newcastle, they weren't great from an attacking point of view. I don't think they deserve to win that game, but I don't think they deserve to lose that game. They just had nil-nil written all over it. Villa, I think they should have won. Liverpool in the FA Cup, I think they should have won. West Ham, I think they probably should have won. Even if they weren't at their very best, they still had enough of the board chances to win it. So, yeah, I I think they're just not being clinical enough. The attack hasn't been working well enough. They haven't been moving the ball fast enough. And that is the big, big problem for me. So I think that's the area they need to... They need to get back to, I hate saying last season because last season's gone and 
yeah. it's, it, it's just I kind of want to mute those words at the moment because last season is just gone and I know we all sort of look back on it longingly because it was such a sort of emo- emotional roller coaster and it was so unexpected and um and it was so much fun and the football was great but you know that has gone now and this is a completely different season against completely different teams and setups and so you can't just keep comparing it back to last season but um yeah it would be nice to see a little bit more of that sort of swashbuckling attacking football that ripped teams apart because we're not quite seeing that at the moment yeah for sure and i think a lot of the reason that we're not seeing that is you made a point there about sort of moving the ball quick enough I don't think at times we've moved the ball through the lines quick enough to mm-hmm. create the one-on-ones that Saka enjoyed last season. Or Martin I think Thomas, Thomas Partey's absence is a big, yeah. big part in that, huge part in that. Is there an argument that in Thomas Partey's absence, we should be using Jorginho more? Because yeah. I think he's very good at that. And I thought in the Liverpool game, it kind of showed that we... I know Liverpool are a much more forward-thinking side than West Ham or whatever, and they're going to open up more naturally because you know, they will fancy themselves at the Emirates, whereas West Ham will come there and be that little bit more sort of defensive and that little bit more pragmatic. But what I've seen of Jorginho this season alongside Rice, I look at him and I think if you were in the side, maybe we'd have a bit more balance and maybe we'd be able to move the ball through the lines that bit quicker, which would create those situations for Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard, etc. Am I just jumping to a conclusion based on that Liverpool game or, or, or is there a point there? No, I think there is a point there. I was talking about it in on, on my channel quite a bit in the build-ups to the Liverpool game. I really wanted Jorginho to start that match and I felt like he had been a bit underused by Arteta um, this season in the absence of Thomas Partey. And I was happy to see him start against Liverpool and I thought he played well against Liverpool and I'll be starting him again this weekend, I think. Obviously, the you know, Mikel has wanted to use Kai Havertz in that sort of in the in the left eight role. And if you're playing Declan Rice and you're playing Kai Havertz, then there's no room for Jorginho. And um but I thought using Kai as a sort of central striker was, again, something I l- would have liked to have seen more of this season. And I think I think it did work in a way against Liverpool. I thought, again, Havertz, I thought, played well in that game. But l- like everyone else, just didn't take his chances when they yeah. came. Um, but I thought his actual performance in that striker's role and everything that he did aside from the finishing, was it was a really good performance from him. And I thought Jorginho played really well. And um, yeah, I, I think there is definitely a strong argument that he hasn't been used enough in the absence of Thomas Partey this season. Um, because I think Thomas Partey's absence is it's been absolutely huge for Arsenal this year, this season. It's no doubt about it. You talk about the ability to split the lines. There's no one in the Arsenal squad who has that ability like Thomas Partey, especially from that sort of deep lying playmaker role that he he performed in so well last season, certainly for the first third of last season. And um, not having him has been a real blow. And yeah, I'm surprised that Jorginho hasn't hasn't been used more. You think back to the what game was it? Severe in the Champions League, wasn't it? That pass that he did to set up the to basically yeah. play Saka in for um for Trossard's goal wasn't it? it was such a brilliant pass, and it's that sort of thing that we haven't seen enough of this season for Arsenal to be able to sort of open up a defence that is sitting deep and just split them apart with one quality ball from deep. And I'd just like to see a little bit more from that, more of that. And I think that when when we say that and when we talk about Thomas Partey's absence being a big miss, people jump on you and they say, well, what are you saying? That, that, that Declan Rice isn't playing well? No, nobody's saying that. It's just it's not his game, is it? I think Declan Rice's way of, of carrying the ball up the pitch or, or progressing the ball up the pitch is by receiving it, turning and carrying it. 
taking those big strides, you know, and stepping into different areas. But I think sometimes you need to do it earlier. You need to do it quicker, um, you know, and you need to do it in a way that creates those 1v1s that you want and doesn't allow the opposition to get back and retreat into a low block, which we are going to find difficult to break down. Agree with you about Havertz playing up front. Um, couldn't apply the finishing touch, but everything else was there. And I think when I made the point about versatility, and I know a lot of people disagreed with me on that, like we would have, I think we would have spent what we spent on Kai Havertz thinking it's okay to kind of slightly overspend because he gives us cover in the midfield, but he also gives us cover up top as well. But the problem is if you've got that issue in the left eight position as a result of Partey being absent, then you can't really utilise Havertz as a striker because Smith Rowe's not been fit enough. Uh, Fabio Vieira's been out since I think November. So you end up in a position where you're having to use him somewhere else. And then that extra bit that he gives you, that versatility that he gives you is essentially cancelled out by the fact that you've got other players. Um, now, what have you made of, of, of Havertz generally? Because he's one of the big changes we made from last season. Mm. Xhaka out, Havertz in. And I don't even know if the intention was for Havertz to play in that position as often as he has. But everybody is kind of looking at him and going, well, that's one of the problems. That's one of the issues. Where where are you on the German? I think it's definitely one of the issues. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and slam Kai Havertz and, and criticise him. A lot of, enough people have done that this season. And I think there's been, you know, good signs from Havertz in the last six weeks or so. And, you know, he won, he got the Player of the Month award for what was November, didn't he? And I thought he, he fully warranted that. His performances were good. He was scoring some important goals. But I think there's no doubt that Arsenal have struggled in that left eight role with what Havertz brings compared to what um, Granit Xhaka was bringing. And just a lack of... When you compare the sort of touches and how involved Granit Xhaka was in every single game he played last season, and then you compare how involved Kai Havertz is in every single game, it's just very, very different. And they offer, they offer different things, obviously. But you know, I, I, having just said I want to mute the words last season... Um, <laughs> You know, I, I'm convinced, absolutely convinced, if Granit Xhaka was still here this season and playing this Arsenal team, that they'd be top of the Premier League right now. I'm absolutely convinced. And I just think the the the, the absence of him has been such a huge has, has played such a huge part on this side, and why we're potentially not seeing him play as well as we were probably expecting this season. I think his absence has had a big part in maybe some of the downturn in form of some other players around him, Gabriel Martinelli. Alexander Zinchenko, players like that, just not having Granite there has played a big, big part of that. And that's I'm not blaming Kai Havertz for that in any way. I just think that the difference between the two and how effective they are and how involved they are in games has just been, it's just really apparent, I think, watching Arsenal this season, that that left eight role is a little bit of an issue. And So then something... do, do we have to, sorry to cut across you, do we then have to look at Mikel Arteta for taking that decision to completely rip up what had worked in the left eight role. And rather than signing someone who would be a like for like and complement the system that we'd already established, do we have to look at him for maybe overcomplicating it by trying to kind of reinvent the wheel? I think you've got, you've got to really, because it was his decision um, to do it. You know, he could have, there was, there were other players on that, that he could assign players who know that role more, who are more adjusted to that role, who are more suited to that role he took a bit of a gamble on Kai Havertz. <laughs> you know, this is a player who we'd all seen underwhelm for a long time for Chelsea. Um, you know, it wasn't at the start of last, at the end of last season, if you said to me, <coughs> excuse me, Arsenal were going to sign Kai Havertz, I'd have said, you're mad. There's no no chance that's going to happen. But they did. They took a gamble. 
at the moment, I wouldn't say it's paid off. You know, they paid a lot of money and I don't think it's working. I'm not saying it's not going to work and hopefully it will. And I don't think he's done anywhere near as badly a lot of, as a lot of people say he has. I think some of his performance has been good. And I would have liked to see him play in that central striker role more often than he has. But I think injuries and unavailability has led to him not being able to do that. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately you have to look at the decision to sign him as Granite's replacement and invest that amount of money as Granite's replacement as a questionable one and one that at the moment, as it stands, doesn't look like it is it has worked and it has improved Arsenal. Um, obviously, we have to wait and see over the next season, 18 months, to see if that changes and he does really grow into that role and becomes hugely influential, which I really hope he does. Where are you at on Emile Smith-Rowe? Because that's another player who... You know, people are looking at and going, well, you know, why isn't he getting opportunities? Why isn't he getting chances in this side? I'm very much of the opinion that he's got to prove that he can stay fit over a period of time. And even now, you know, I, the Liverpool game, people were calling for him to start. And I was looking at it and I'm thinking, does he have any more than 15, 20 minutes in the tank at this stage? I don't think he does. So how do we go about getting him back? Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill to the level that he needs to be and and does he have a future at Arsenal in your view no I don't think he does because Mikel's not playing him (laughs) and so I think ultimately if that continues and there's no sign that that's not going to continue that he's going to have to leave and it's going to really pain me to see him leave because I think he's such a fantastic player I think he's massively underused and I know what you're saying but the only way you can prove that you can stay fit is by playing and you know if you're not going to play how can you prove yourself it's the only only way you can prove yourself on the pitch. It's the only way you can prove your fitness, your your quality, what you can bring to this side is by being given opportunities and he's consistently being overlooked for those opportunities. I think it was a big the latest injury was a big shame because for the first time in a long time, it looked like he had worked his way up the pecking order a little bit. He he started one game, wasn't it, at home, Sheffield United, was it? I can't remember who it was, but he started that game ahead of Kai Havertz, he came on in the 2-2 at Chelsea. He was like the first sub that came on. Again, he came on ahead of Kai Havertz and Fabio Vieira in that game. And it looked like suddenly he was, you know, right there in the pecking order. And then he got the injury and now he's having to work his way back again. So I thought that one was a shame. And it would have been interesting to see how many minutes he was going to get in that period before the injury struck. Um, but I just, I just think he's been underused. I really do. And I look at that position that I was just talking about. And I just want to... If, if, if Emil had been given the amount of minutes that Kai Havertz had been given this season in that position, I just, 
I'd be intrigued to see what his numbers would be right now. Um, but it just doesn't look like Arteta fancies him for whatever reason right now. It looks like he's moved on from Emil. And I think that's a real, real shame. And if he does go, which I think sadly is inevitable, yeah. it's going to be a real, real shame. And I do worry about him going on and being a huge success somewhere else. But um, ultimately, Mikel Arteta right now is a manager and he's got the final say in things. So if he if he doesn't believe in Emil Smith-Rowe for whatever reason that is, then you know, I think ultimately that's going to lead to him him moving on. Yeah, it feels that way, doesn't it? It really, really does. Um, let's take some questions uh, from some of our listeners. We've had a few uh, come in overnight uh, since we said that you'd be on the podcast. Uh, wherever Charles goes, everybody flocks and wants to ask lots of questions. Lots of them are transfer related, obviously, uh, because we're in January, even if we have said that not much is going to happen. But one of the, it's not one specific question. It's a, there's about 10 questions mm-hmm. um, about this one particular player. So I kind of want to amalgamate them into one. Ivan Tony. Now we know that he's not going to leave Brentford during this window. We know that um, he's going to stay at the club. Thomas Frank said uh, yesterday or the day before that he's got a 99% chance of remaining at the club. And, and I think when you consider the fact that Brentford have supported him and backed him through all the troubles he's had, I think that's only right and only fair. I also don't think that anybody will want to pay £100 million to sign Ivan Tony, which is another issue. But is he someone that you'd look at come the summer? Because Again, he's a player that I'm not massively keen on. And judging by the comments and the reaction to some of the things I've said about Ivan Tony, that doesn't feel like a popular opinion. Where are you at on the Brentford forward? I I really like Ivan Tony. I don't know if he's the answer to Arsenal, put it that way. Um, but I think he'd be a I think he would certainly improve the squad. I don't know if he's be an absolute guaranteed starter in this Arsenal team. And, you know, is that what they need right now? If they're gonna move on and go to another level do you need someone who's going to come in and basically say Sir Gabriel Jesus that's it you're number two I'm miles better than you if I'm fit I'm playing in this Arsenal team does does um Tony do that I'm not sure I don't think he probably does I think he just gives Arsenal another option that would be really yeah. useful and would improve them and I think there'd be a better squad and a, have better options than they have right now I don't think that's that's up for debate but I'm not sure if he's the the sort of earth mover if that's the right way of describing it that suddenly came to and say like Declan Rice has done and just you know it's just you spend that sort of money on a player and you know he he is going to be playing every single game because he's that good which is what Declan Rice does has done you know does Tony do that I'm not sure but I think he's a really good player I've not seen anyone really give William Saliba as difficult a game as I saw Ivan Tony give in that 1-1 draw last season at the Emirates I thought he was absolutely brilliant in that game and yeah, I, I I certainly wouldn't say no to him if the, if Arsenal made a move, but I'm not sure he's the. You know, I don't think he. It's a be all and end all. You know, if Arsenal go for another striker and not Tony, I wouldn't be overly overly devastated by it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm the same. I, I like the player. I just don't think he's worth the money that it's going to cost. And when you look across Europe, you could probably pick up a striker. I think of equal quality for who though Barley. that's the thing who i well, there's just not many there isn't but if, if if you're talking victor Osimhen for 105 million pounds which is rumored to be his release clause hmm. then i'm going for Osimhen rather than paying 100 for tony so I, I get what you're saying there isn't a lot and that's why the prices are, are mad on on all of them but i just think there isn't you know there's more than five million quids difference in Ossiman and Tony for me personally. Mm. Another question that we've had a lot overnight is 
what are the chances that Arsenal are one of the clubs in the race for Victor Osimhen? He was speaking at the AFCON yesterday and he said, yeah, he'd like to move to the Premier League at some point. But he kind of hinted that maybe that's not the next move that he has in mind. Do you think Arsenal will, will push for him come the summer? I don't know. I couldn't sit here right now and say they would or not. I know that they like Osimhen. I know they've had talks about Osimhen before. I know his agent's been over and met with Edu at London Colney before the, the summer that they signed Gabriel Jesus. They were very much looking at Osimhen as another potential option, although Jesus was always a priority that summer. So, and he's look, he's a top quality player and he is potentially on the market. There's a release clause that everyone knows about now. So I'm sure if we could spy into Edu's office now and saw the list of striker names he had on his whiteboard that Victor Osimhen would be on it. Um, but, you know, whether Arsenal actually sort of push the boat out and go for that, I, I, I wouldn't be able to say right now. Look, with Osimhen, I, I just haven't seen enough. I'm not, you know, I don't sit here religiously watching Serie A and watching Napoli. Whenever I see him, I think he looks really good. I think he's got all the attributes to be a success in the Premier League. He's had injury issues, though, certainly this season, hasn't he, I think. Um and I know you sort of look at the price tags there of the two players. I suppose what you're buying in Tony is a player that you know can do it in the Premier League and is guaranteed, basically guaranteed to be fairly successful in the Premier League because he's been here, done it, and he's got that tag on him. Osimhen, for all his qualities and undoubted quality, there is still that question mark. You know, we've seen players who've been we've been convinced to be a success in the Premier League come over from another country and not been able to replicate the form that they'd shown abroad over here. So you always, as good as a player is, there is always that question mark. And I think with Tony, that question mark probably certainly a lot smaller because we know that he can do it over here. Um, and yeah, look, Osman would be a really exciting one. There's no doubt about it. Um, I just, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. And the whole money thing, I'm not too bothered about the money. Yeah. Overly, it's kind of what I look at with Havertz as well, and I know a lot of this, a lot of people quite sort of focus on Havertz's price tag and all that, but I just not, I'm not overly bothered about what it costs. It's not my money, if you see what I mean. And football, yeah. football's so mad now that everyone's worth stupid money. No one's worth what is paid for them, and so as long as Arsenal have money to spend and they can improve their squad, I'm not, I'm not massively bothered on what the price tag is for Tony. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at 100 million and think, oh, you shouldn't do that. I just think, well, you're signing a striker who I think is definitely going to score goals in the Premier League. And ultimately, that's what I'd want from any striker who comes to Arsenal. We're, we're talking about potential signings for the summer. I know people are saying in the comments, well, if we're not buying anyone, why are you talking about this? But the point is, I think we all agree that Arsenal probably do need another striking option come the summer. And, and I've always said that if you know, get if it takes a bit of time to get our ducks in order so that we can do the right deal in the summer, then I'm kind of okay with us not going and pushing for one in January. I mean, we can't anyway, but I was always of that opinion, even before the sort of talk of, you know, profit and sustainability issues kind of came to the fore. But do you think, just on a, a wider, more broader point, do you think the profit and sustainability stuff and the fact that it's actually being enforced now and, and being sort of clamped down on, do you think that that's going to crash the market a little bit? Because we're talking about hundred million pound plus strikers. That certainly isn't what the market looks like in other countries. You don't see deals between Serie A clubs or La Liga clubs for that kind of money. So do you think that this is something that's going to bring the Premier League down to a kind of more level playing field in that sense? Potentially. It's going to be interesting to see how it goes. Because this is the first window that I think we've all looked at. And those words, profit and sustainability, have just never been far away from any conversation about what's going on in a window at the moment. We've never really had that. You go back to last January and huge money was spent last January. Yeah. It's just not happened at all, this this one. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the next few windows go. I'm still expecting a lot of money to be spent this summer, though, to be honest. Um, I just think this window, and I'm not, 
again, I'm not overly clued up on exactly how it works. Now they've obviously submitted their fine their everyone had to submit their accounts for the end of that three year period by December. We've got the ruling now. I think does that like start up a new period now for the next three years? Has that started? So I don't think this might this there's going to be as much pressure on this window coming up as there was in previous windows. Um, so I'm expecting a lot of money to be spent this money and, and this summer. And I think for Arsenal as well, obviously you've got the added bonus of being back in the Champions League now, which is going to give them a lot more leeway yeah. to spend a lot more money. And you want that to really see the benefits of that. You need to consistently qualify for the Champions League. So that's got to be crucial for Arsenal in the in the coming months, coming uh, seasons is to make sure they're always in that top four so they can have the extra money to spend and then they can really start to push the boat out on these big signings. Um, and I think they will. I think I think we'll see a lot of money spent this summer. Yeah, I think come the summer, I think summer windows are always windows where you, as a club, are looking to build and looking to go on to that next level. And I've always seen January windows as windows where if you can supplement your overall sort of plan or you can bring a deal forward, great, do it. Or it's a very reactionary window where you maybe identify a problem that you've had in the first half of the season and you try and fix it. Um, there's a question about the Champions League. Now, a lot of people are looking at Arsenal's season at the moment and saying, you know, five points off the top. It's not looking good at the moment. Liverpool look better. Manchester City look like they're about to click into gear as well. And I think a lot of people feel that Arsenal's chances of going on and winning the Premier League this season are far slimmer than they were last time around, which, you know, in some way you could argue shows a bit of regression. I don't know. But the Champions League for me represents a real good opportunity for Arsenal to go out there and turn a season that people are a little bit worried about at the start of January into an amazing historic season. How do you rate Arsenal's chances of, of going far in the competition and possibly going all the way? Well, I think they've got a good chance of doing it. I don't think there's anyone in that in that tournament that you're looking at and would really fear, aside from the obvious. Um, and so you've got to get a bit of luck in the draw. You've got to hope maybe someone else knocks Manchester City out on the way. And... Um, if they do, I think Arsenal got a really good chance. I don't think anyone was going to want to draw Arsenal. You know, I imagine Porto's reaction when they got Arsenal was like, oh. and I think that'll probably be going to be very similar for a lot of clubs who who get Arsenal. Um, it's going to be difficult, put it that way, though. It is the Champions League at the end of the day. But, you know, if it, what what's easier to win, the Champions League or the Premier League? I'd say the Champions League is easier to sure. win by by an absolute mile, to be honest. It's a, it's a cup competition at the end of the day. And the Premier League's literally the... It's like a marathon against the best of the best. So, um, you know, I think I, I look at the Champions League as a real realistic opportunity for Arsenal, certainly to go deep into the competition and show that they've, they've got the quality to do that. We've seen so far in, in, the, in the game, certainly at home, that they're well equipped to put European sides away. Um, and I think they're overwhelming favourites to beat Porto. It's not going to be easy. I think a big question mark against Mikel Arteta as well has been his success in Europe and how we can deal with these two-legged games. Last season, they fell short against a Portuguese club, which should be a big warning sign for what's to come um, yeah. this this season against Porto. And it'll be interesting to see how Mikel, Mikel approaches it, especially you know, if the league, by the time those games roll around, is, is looking very, very unlikely. I'm certainly not ready to wave the white flag when it comes to the Premier League just yet anyway. You know, five points, yeah, it's not great, but it's not a... You know, it's not huge. We could beat Liverpool in, exactly. in three weeks and end up being two points behind them. It's two weeks, two weeks, you know, what, Christmas time, three, two games ago in the Premier League, Arsenal sitting top of the Premier League. You know, had they beaten, beaten Fulham they, on that New Year's Eve, they'd have been top of the Premier League going into 2024. So it's not a mile away. Things can change very, very quickly. They, they've given themselves a bit of a, um, 
uphill task now with these last two results in the league, but you know, they're still in it and they're, they're, they're certainly not going to believe they can't win the title. Um, so I'm not ready to wave the white flag yet, but I do think the Champions League is certainly the easier, easier to, to win. And if Arsenal can avoid Manchester City and someone else does them a favour, then I would put them down as you know, right up there with Real Madrid as one of the favourites for it. Which would you rather see Arsenal win from Premier a personal League. perspective? Premier League, really? Yeah, is, I, 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 I answered, someone asked me that question the other day and it is, I know, look, I've never seen Arsenal win the Champions League. I was there in Paris in 2006. It was devastating night and I've still never been able to watch the highlights of the game. I just, if whenever it comes on, anything comes on, I, I just turn it off. I can't deal with it. It was just a horrible night, but it's been 20 years since Arsenal won the Premier League and there is no... It's the yardstick of all competitions for me is winning the Premier League. You're going up against the best there is over 38 games and the quality of teams you're coming up against, how difficult it is to win every single week. And that's a, that's the pinnacle for me is winning the Premier League. So, yeah, if, if Arsenal won the Premier League this season, next season, I'd say the Champions League 100%. But it's just been so long now since 2004. I'm desperate to see Arsenal win the Premier League again. And I think that shows you are absolutely the best. I don't think winning the Champions League is as amazing as it would be says that you're the best team that there is, but I think winning the Premier League does. Yeah, I agree with the difficulty of the two competitions. Winning the Premier League certainly does say more, but 2006 for me, it, it cuts deep. Um, I, I missed my maths GCSE to go to that game um, and uh, yeah, didn't tell my mum until a few years later. So like the, the the pain of that, it still lives on with me. So I would pick the Champions League over the Premier League just because for my own personal sake, I need to get, get past that. But yeah. Um, well, equally, it's at Wembley, isn't it? And you know what happens yeah. at Wembley when Arsenal play there? They tend, we tend to win. So. That's it. It feels like it's set up. It feels like it's set up. Um, Charles, thank you so, so much for joining me, mate. I'm going to leave it there. Really, really appreciate um, your time because I know you're a very busy man, even if the transfer window has been a little bit of a damp squib so far. Um, let people know where they can follow you. I'm sure they are already, but how they can follow you, how they can find your channel and all the rest of it. Yeah, well, on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it now, at Charles underscore Watts. Obviously, just search Inside Arsenal or Charles Watts on YouTube and on the podcast as well to get my, uh, to get my daily show. Brilliant stuff. Make sure you get over uh, to Charles's channel. I'll leave a link in the description. Um, Charles, thank you again. Um, and hopefully... We'll be uh, coming out of the Emirates Stadium on Saturday with smiles on our faces and with a far more positive outlook for what's to come over the course of the remainder of the season. Don't forget to leave a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. If you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review. It really, really does help. And we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Until then, take care. Cheers. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.